0: Online people, there you go. That's your uh, something you can laugh about. But nevertheless, I can still see, so don't worry. I can still see the main point somewhere here. But the point is that the commandments, the first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. The last six deal with relationships that matter to God, and they have to do with the people around you. Uh, Commandment five, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about parents and children and how children are to honor their parents but parents are to build a culture of honor for children to honor those parents. Last week, we talked about humanity as a whole, how we're to treat each other. In fact, last week's sermon was, or, I mean, I know it was, you know, talking about murder, abortion, euthanasia, suicide, right? And you're like, what's next, what's next week about? It doesn't get any easier when you talk about adultery. The Bible forces us to grap- grapple with some of these topics that are difficult to, uh, to kind of go through in our, on our own. But last week we talked about how murder is also against our neighbor. Even bitterness and anger deal with murder in some respects. But now we're, we're moving, if I could say it this way, to the apex, to the uh, pinnacle of this second half of these commandments. Because it deals with the most sacred of relationships. It deals with the institution, the sacred institution of marriage. Now this commandment uh, is about breaking and severing the most guarded and important relationship that belongs to us as human beings, which is one's own marriage. Let me give you a a kind of opening illustration of kind of where we're going this morning and and kind of um, what adultery is like. Before we moved to New Jersey, my wife and I, we lived in Morristown, not Morristown, Moorestown. I always have to say that you know it's a beautiful town. We had the Eagles coach was our neighbor. Okay, he lived in the area. It was the biggest house we've ever lived in. Subur- I mean, it was just best schools. We loved it. We loved living there. And one of the things Chris loved to do, she loved. She began to garden there, and uh, I'm not one to do any of that stuff, I would just mow the lawn, but she would take time and she would invite her friend, Emily, sometimes, and bring her, and they would plant flowers uh, around the house. And in time, these flowers would grow, they would grow. Now me, as a male who doesn't know one flower from another or, or a new bush from another, I used to do the lawn and, and just you know began to trim things around, and there was one occasion where I grabbed this trimmer and I began to trim things, and I just trimmed this whole thing of, of new bushes, of flowers that were just had grown into these beautiful red roses. And uh, I was sitting there. One, I, I, was, I knew something was ha- gonna happen at home because it was a lot of work put into those things. But number two, I was reminded of, of how much time it took to build that beautiful flower. I, I, I was reminded of the hours of the amount of money that it cost to build this beautiful thing and how quickly in an instant whether it was by the force of the trimmer or my lack of attention in an instant the flowers that had color that had life no longer had life they were severed from the root of life all the hours of work were gone in an instant and that just reminded me of what adultery is like you begin marriage full of dreams loving in a loving relationship that god has given you time wears on other things begin to pull you, you get busy, and the love that keeps people together in an instant is broken by one act. Whether it was the force of whatever you feel, whether it was as we can think of it, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Nevertheless, we cave to our desires and sever a marriage from its root of life. And many times, if you've had that in your family or in your friendships it's irreparable it's irreparable okay what i mean by that is you can get over it for a season and and the lord can do that but there are many marriages who cannot come back from that so it's it's an extremely sensitive topic this morning so i'm going to go at it with tenderness and care but also with what the scripture teaches and so in the Bible, adultery refers simply to marital infidelity. That's what this commandment says. Sean, you know, you not have to read the Bible. We read it. Do not commit adultery. Very, very simple. What does it mean in the Hebrew? Do not commit adultery. Right? There's not much there to go at. But, but that's, a, that's a macro view, if I could say, a big view of this commandment. This commandment is not just don't, don't do something. We talked about how these commandments are not just about doing. But there's more to this here. There's a, there's a micro view, but there's also a, a sorry, it's a micro view of uh, infidelity, right? Uh, uh, a, ma- mar- uh, a man who is married having sex with someone that is not his wife or the other way around. But it's more than that. It has to do with how we ought to live in relationship between husband and wife. This commandment reflects not just the act of adultery, but reflects biblical principles for sexual relationships within couples. Now, those that are here, that feel uncomfortable, you're like, you don't talk about that in church. You just don't do that. Well, the Bible forces you to, you hear me, right? So we have to go at this cautiously, but also with conviction. Now, another way in which adultery can be understood is the spiritual adultery that the people of Israel uh, held on to people worshiped other gods and god in ezekiel in jeremiah he calls this spiritual adultery simply leaving god who whom they had a reunion and relationship with after other gods but this morning it's not it's going to be some of that but primarily it's going to be how this commandment confronts us with biblical principles for relationships um, under the covenant uh, of god all right and so to begin i want to just give you a definition of marriage now Here's why a definition is important, because our culture doesn't have one. Do you know that? The definition of marriage is anything you like it to be. If we say, look at this book, if we say, here's what God says about marriage, you're simply seen as a buffoon or a joke. So go with me to Genesis chapter two. Go to Genesis chapter two, verse 20, 24. And here after the creation of mankind, God um, begins to officiate the first marriage in humanity. God creates man, makes him in his image, and he says this. Here's why I made you male and female in my own image. And this is what he says in Genesis 2.24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. They become one Flesh, They become one flesh, all right? So here's God as the witness of this union between man and woman, and God speaks over man and woman. Now, listen, I know that people can get married civilly, but the real marriage is before covenant, before God, because God is the witness of marriage, and this is how we begin. The Hebrew word cleave, you know, you heard that word leave and cleave, or united, uh, is is found in a lot of uh, pictures in Scripture. For instance, in Ruth one fourteen, we find that Ruth clung on to her mother-in-law as they were parting ways. This clung on means united, steadfastly holding on to her, pulling her. It says this, um, and they wept aloud. Oprah kissed uh, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, and Ruth clung to her. Solomon, King Solomon, who had many wives. We're told that he clung with love for his wives. First Kings 11 says, uh, You must not intermarry. This is the Lord talking to Solomon. Do not intermarry with them, because it will surely turn your hearts away after other gods. Solomon says this, Nevertheless, Solomon held fast with them in love. To hold fast to your wife, to hold fast to this relationship, a relationship, is to hold at it with intense love. And this is, what the beginning of this Genesis 2, 24 marriage union means. It is a, uh, it is a unity of both life and a unity of, 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 of body by intense love in all areas of fellowship. So let me, let me say that again. Marriage, uh, if you want to describe it, is two biblical words. Covenant, relationship, your life with another life, and consummation physical union which happens in marriage. Both make up a marriage. So first we must see the unity of life. What do we mean by that? Well look at this again. Look at our passage. Man will leave his father and mother. Think about your parents. What did your parents provide you with? Housing, care, love, food, right? They provide for you with so much care and Provided for you with counsel when you needed it, even if you didn't have both parents. I mean, you know your parents were there when you needed them. See, the transition is seamless. It goes from you're being cared for. Whoops, you being from cared for. you parents taking care of you to responsible for care. When you talk about a unity of life is you saying, I'm going to make a covenant with this person because I had a covenant with my parents. I'm leaving that covenant and moving into a covenant.
1: Now, I want you to notice this, the
0: transition. There's no middle transition. Okay. For instance, I know I was in high school. All right. I know what high school is like. And right now you have this in between where you can pretty much date anybody you want right? Just try. I mean, I was told in high school, just there's a lot of fish in the pond, right? Try them all out. One of them maybe will, uh, you know, kind of hook to your, uh, maybe one of them you'll, you'll like. You got to try as many as you want. This should make us consider passive dating or emotional relationships where, where we don't go from being cared for to responsible for care, but rather we have this holding period to try as much as we want and as we can. Let me just say this. If a man is in multiple relationships before he gets married. Do you actually think he's going to change when he's married? All right, Think about that for a moment. The, the logic of that is not is not there. The logic would be that because he is he's holding waiting for the one, he would be uh, he would be committed to one when he's married, not the other way around. To give yourself wholeheartedly to someone who is not planning to leave his father and mother can produce emotional wreckage and ultimately will produce pain in, your, in, in people's hearts. Again, there is no holding period. How good did you have your life with your parents? You, you guys that are married already, right? You're, I mean, I do that now, right? I go, man, I wish I could go back and not worry about a car payment, right? I wish I could go back and just go to the park and watch football for hours and have like no work. I don't want to work right? Because that's what life was like with our parents. Well, now we have a responsibility. Man particularly is called to, for this responsibility. And here's why. Because you're bound to your parents, united to your parents in life. And now that life now becomes bound with somebody else. Today, more millennials are living at home than any other point in, in, in this century. Today, more people are choosing not to get married, but rather live together as though they were married. Why? Because they don't have a definition of marriage. That's why. Because marriage is not a unity of life, it's just a relationship that you have. Not something where God is the witness. Can you picture that? Can you imagine? What, what would God say about your marriage if he was sitting right at your table? Well, here is, here is the union of marriage. The union of marriage is limited to one man, what does it say here, and a woman, not men. Or several women. Marriage in the Bible is heterosexual and monogamous. And I know again, if, if we if you put this out on the internet, it's like you sound like, come on, man, you that, that's so old school. That's so last century. But yet we must grapple with scripture with Genesis 2:24. The Bible doesn't change, even though the culture changes. Amen? In marriage, so again, let me repeat this again. In marriage, here's what marriage is, we're united in life or covenant. We have a covenant life together. Here's what this means. Here's what, you want to get practically, right? That means when you get married, you don't have two separate bank accounts. You have one account. You know why? Because you're one person. You no longer have two dreams because you're two people. You have one dream. You no longer have two distinct hobbies that keeps you away for for your entirety of your life But rather you have what? You have one overarching, I'm not saying you can't watch football. I hope you get what I mean, okay? You have one vision for life. You know why? Because you're one person. You're not two people. You're two lives put together. Your joy is now one. When one person exceeds, one person's success is something for you to be joyful about. And the other way around, when somebody's in pain, it's as if you're going through that same pain. We cannot live, marriage is not a life of two people just living together. Marriage is a life of two lives coming together. And so as we begin to define marriage, this definition is nowhere out there in, in, in the world. The Bible says it is a covenant, a unity of life together. But it's not just that. It's not just relational, emotional, heartfelt unit. It is also one of the body. It is consummation. Okay, look again, verse 24, 224. They become... One flesh, one flesh. Again, you can go around it. It is, you become one person. Again, the transition goes from a public declaration of leaving your father and mother. This is public. People know in the ancient Near East, when you left your father and mother, they knew you're leaving wealth, you're leaving protection. It's a public declaration of leaving that behind in order to receive the promise of private pleasure. It's not the other way around. You guys see that in this passage? Not the other way around. It is not go and become one flesh and then go ahead and leave your parents. That's not what marriage is. It is the blessing of the parents that sends the kids, the children out into the unknown. Today, we're called to enjoy physical union under the covenant in which God is the witness. God is our witness of this covenant. Stat tells us otherwise. Over half of the U.S. teens have had some sort of sexual intercourse by the age of 18. I was a youth pastor for a long time. I won't tell you what happened, but I'll just tell you, if you think that's not happening, then you're wearing the wrong lenses. You're wearing the wrong glasses. We must be watchful that our bodies also matter. We're, We're the temple of God. All, even our sexual organs were constructed in such a way that men and women can actually become one flesh. Don't get squirmy on me, okay? Don't get squirmy here. But, but, this is, but th- we have to this is what marriage is. It's beautiful. I know that sex now is like this horrible thing that's so evil and, and people. But, but this is God made it for man. Men and women fit biologically like a puzzle because they were made to be one flesh. This union reminds us that they're not two people anymore, but they're one. So these are the two elements. One, covenant, relationship, unity of life, and consummation, unity of the body. In these two ways, people become one. In a marriage, and if you're married this morning, you know that when one of those two things are not really going well, the other one suffers, right? You guys know that, right? Or or when you're emotionally, women are not doing well, men, you have to go, what am I doing wrong? Where are we failing? Or the other way around. The fact is that these two, this, emo, this this life-giving emotion, heart, and body is what marriage brings us and becomes one. And this is this, is, this is with adultery. Adultery breaks it, destroys it, and actually pulls another person into this covenant relationship where God is the witness of it. You will rarely find an adulterous relationship that is just physical. It is... Most of the time, both. It is both a unity of life where a man shares his heart with a female who's not his wife or a man shares his dreams and the man begins to dream and think of other things and it turns into a physical attraction or the other way around. Physical attraction turns into an emotional relationship. How are we doing with this? A, a new, a new statistic says that 30 to 60% of married couples will cheat once in their marriage. 74% of men and 68% of women admit that they cheat if it was guaranteed they would never be caught. 60% of affairs start with close friends or coworkers. You guys hear that? Those stats are not very good. And there's other stats. I mean, as I was researching for, the, for this morning, I was so struck by, again, the level of lack of, uh, of care for what this means to our lives. The truth is that marriage is no longer held in high esteem. There's no definition of marriage. Covenant and consummation are whatever. God is our witness, whatever. But the scripture uh, shows us this. Look at Leviticus 20, verse 10. I think I'm gonna put this first up. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. If you wanna know how serious adultery was in the Old Testament, you wanna know how serious it was? It was the same thing as murder. That was the punishment for adultery in the Old Testament. Leviticus 20 says this, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress, what does that say? Must be put to death. Here's what this means, that if you're committing adultery, or if you're, you know, if, if, if you know people that are committing adultery, the difference between that them and the Old Testament is that in the Old Testament they would have been executed. I mean, think about the the brevity and weightiness of adultery before god's eyes in the new testament of course jesus does um, offer other options uh, other ways in which we can come to him and no longer die in this way because he died for us he died this death that we no longer have to die that way but here's the point that if you were born in the old testament you would have been executed if you're committing adultery and so as we come to the New Testament, we have to think, well, what is Jesus going to do with this? I mean, look how how terrible adultery is. Look how hard this is. And look at the punishment. Well, is Jesus going to come and say, hey, guys, I got you. Everything's going to be all right. Not at all. He doesn't get any easier. In fact, he ups the ante. He ups the standard of sexual sin. Okay, now turn with me to Matthew 5. Go to Matthew 5, verse 27. Matthew 5 verse 27 through 30. And I'm going to go ahead and read it and follow follow along with me. Now here Jesus quotes Exodus 20 verse 14. You have heard it that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her heart, in his heart. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Notice Jesus looks at the Old Testament and he sees the same result. You, an adulterer, you will be judged and cast in the lake of fire. In the Old Testament, is death. Here, it is eternal punishment. Adultery is a serious thing. But Jesus goes far beyond popular opinion and raises the bar to say this. It is not just the fact that you commit adultery. You know why? Because the Pharisees will walk around and say, I would never commit adultery. Oh, I've never done that. Oh, I would never, ever go near another man's wife and... Go after her. I would never do that. And Jesus goes right against the religious people of his day, and he says, it's not about that. There's something in you far more dangerous than that. It's what's in your heart. See, nothing can keep us from what God knows about us. Today, I was reading about this company called Neuralink, and it's a it's a brain company that's looking to connect these uh, you know penny sized chips into people's brains to read your uh, dream frequency and your activity of the brain to move or to basically see what you're thinking to know what you're thinking and they've you know how far they've come after billions of dollars they cannot predict what color you're thinking of okay that's how far they've come after billions of dollars but here jesus says that god knows our thoughts fully God knows the intentions of the heart. There's no secret in our thought life before the all-knowing God. When it comes to adultery, God knows. I know that this sermon might be like, man, this is, man, this is hard to get through. But, but God knows right what's in our hearts, what we're hiding, what we feel that God needs to expose before Him so that we can be healed from this great trouble. Notice here in verse 27, it says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, anyone, anyone, no exception clauses, kings, priests, ministers, pastors, youth, elders, old men, young men, women, nobody is given a pass. The fact is that all of us, all of us in this room are must be cautious with this reality there's no ex- exception clauses. It says here, whoever looks at, looks at a woman, this word "blepo" in the Greek is not just look, but actually it is a, it's another way of saying it. It's beholding a woman. I, um, uh, you know If you go to Marshall's, and I was thinking of a way of explaining this, but if you go to Marshall's, you know that you're not really going there for the brands. I don't know, maybe you Maybe maybe you do. I'm a guy, I don't go for the brand. I go for the price, right? And, and you go for the price, uh, whatever $3.99 or $4.99 and under, you go and grab it. I don't really look, I mean, I kind of look, because I mean, it kind of looks medium. If it looks like it fits, I grab it and go. But when you go to Nordstrom's, right? Lord & Taylor, yeah, ladies are laughing, like, oh, well, I know, I've been there for a couple of hours. What do you do? You don't just look and buy, what do you do? You, look at it you feel it you go oh I would look so good in this you go you try it on and I mean it's for me I would never go to the stores I just know that when I go that price is 10 times the price so I gotta look real good right and, and so that's the difference between looking and beholding beholding you're you're looking you're liking you're touching you're feeling you're not making just an observation but you're going far beyond that it's not a quick look It's a gaze. Oh, what would it be like to be with that person? Wow. Look, look, look at that. Uh, One commentator put it this way. The man who Jesus condemns is the man who deliberately uses his eyes to stimulate his desires. Let me say that again. So what's already in the heart is being stimulated by what you see. The man who finds strange delight in things that awaken his forbidden things. So, so lust, in a way, it could uh, summarize it this way, it's to fix desires on someone who is not your wife, to long for someone in a way that should only be for your husband and wife, only for them. Uh, it refers to, instead of uh, contemplating or being physically with that person, is to having the intention. And, and I thought about this, I thought, it's kind of thinking, if you could, you would. Does that make sense to you guys, sort of? like it's you thinking if i would never do it i would never ever do it but if all the things lined up and if i could just move these pieces 100% amen i i know that th- again this is heavy for us in some ways but but this is what jesus is extending adultery to be he's not lowering the bar he's raising up the standard and we look at it and we go lord no i mean We've all fallen. We've fallen in this. And so, um, again, marriage is no longer held in this high esteem. And, and, and I know that um, oftentimes, it, I think we have to think about it in the sense of us longing to have a life with somebody else who's not our spouse, because ultimately that's going to lead into sin or the other one around. A physical desire for somebody that's going to turn into an emotional type of desire for somebody. What if I marry that person? What if I was led by this other person? I mean, all those things are uh, symptoms of adultery. Does that make sense? Those are symptoms of adultery. Maybe it's not full-blown adultery because you, you desire but but when you begin to think of somebody else as a dream woman or a dream man, we, we are seeing symptoms in your life of adultery. Now, we're living in times where you're bombarded on ways to fail. I, I, you know, there, there, it is not easy. What we're talking about this morning it is not easy because you're bombarded with ways to fail. A while back, my wife and I, we, we try to find a show to watch, you know, in Netflix, the hundreds of shows that exist. And there was this one show everybody told us to watch. Mad Men. Have you ever watched, anybody heard that show? Mad Men, Mad Men, Mad Men, whatever. Well, everybody said, you gotta watch, you gotta watch. I only watched five episodes, but I'll, and I'll tell you why. Um, as we watch this show, it's about, uh, main character's name is Don Draper. Don Tripper is an uh, executive, uh, advertising executive that lives double lives, all right? He's extremely successful, good-looking, well-spoken, sharp, president of his firm. But then he has another life that nobody knows about. And the whole, the whole show is about how these two lives intersect and he kind of gets caught at the very end of the, of the show, as far as I know. I, I could, be, could be wrong if you watched it because I only watched four episodes. But that's what it seemed like it was going. And then he has this other but the but the show is about his other life, of course, right? His show is about affairs. Affairs. More affairs. Financially. Lying, drinking, smoking, lying, deceit. And and, and, and then I I Google this, and Madman has been voted the best television show series ever, in terms of its writing by HBO, other critics that you know you might know. Best television show. The best television show we have is a show about a man living a double life with multiple women. It's not easy in the culture that we live in. Think about music. When was the last time you heard a song about a faithful husband loving his wife every day into eternity? How about a husband and wife growing old together, right? <laughs> My daughter's looking I was like, oh, there are songs like that. Uh, I, maybe maybe I, I missed it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know, you don't hear that on the radio, do you? You don't hear like, oh, you and me walking around, you know, living life and and, and having the perfect life and all that. No. What was the last time you heard a song about cheating? Lying. Using women for sex. Which one seems more prevalent, right? Because culture at the most is militating against Genesis 2.24. And is facilitating the breaking of Exodus 2014. Let me say this, and for those younger in the room, maybe, maybe you got to cover your ears for this, but but I think this is important. I think this is part of uh, Exodus 2014. But lust, especially for men, more than 80% is for men, is largely motivated by pornography. He- hear this. Pornography sites get more visitors than Netflix, Amazon, Amazon and Twitter combined. Pornography makes your marriage a lie and your fantasy truth. Brothers and sisters, I I I say this here with humility because I am a man who is a fallen man and who seeks to walk the way of the Lord as best as I could with His grace. And I plead with you to consider this with me. Ephesians 5 verse 3 says this, this is talking to the church of, of Ephesus. But among you, there must not be even a hint. Maybe I have it up there. Not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's people. Not even a hint. You know what a hint is? Not even a tiny drop. Now again, I know that we're looking and I go, oh man, like this, that, that's, that's tough. But this matches with what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, verse 29 and 30. If your right causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Throw it away. And if your right hand causes you, cut it off, throw it away. Jesus thought this was serious enough to make drastic changes. I've heard people say to others, you gotta wean your way out of it, right? Just stop a little bit, a little bit less. Try to want it less, and then at some point you will get fixed. No, there has to be a complete break from this adulterous heart, this heart of adultery. So it is. So adultery is destructive, not just physically, but it is a heart adultery that breaks it, because it happens at the heart level. Here we read that it must not be a hint. Jesus says, throw it away, do it now, even this morning. So as I begin to close this morning... I want to say one thing that I think it's clarification. Jesus is not saying that the act of adultery and adultery in the heart are the same thing. They are not the same thing. All right? Don't think that. There are many people that I've encountered that say, Well, I already committed adultery in my heart. Might as well commit the act. Not at all. The act of adultery is far more consequential than the adultery of the heart. You're not the same thing, but they are both the same sin. You hear that? They're not the same thing, but they are the same sin. And both are prohibited by this command against adultery. Again, the act of if you're if you're in the precipice of committing this, if you're watching online this morning and you're you're at the edge of jumping off the cliff because things at home aren't the way they should be. Brother, I, I implore you, Genesis 2 24, Ephesians 5.3, there must be a hint. Of it, Don't jump yet, especially if you're struggling at the heart. So this morning as I finish, I want to give you just a way of fidelity. The fact is that by nature, we're unfaithful people. And so for us to seek to be faithful, we must look at the scriptures to provide guidelines for fidelity. In Ephesians 5, I don't have time to go through Ephesians 5 and to really look at the beauty that uh, Paul describes for marriage relationships. But here's what Paul says, husbands, love your wives, sacrifice your life, teach them the word of God daily, wash them with the word, love them as you love your own body. Wives, submit to your husbands, right? That's all beautiful. This is a great little sermon for for a wedding. But at the beginning and end of Ephesians chapter 5, these job descriptions that God gives, this is what you find. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 begins this way. Husbands love your wives. Maybe you know this passage. Just as what? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's how he begins. You want to know how it ends? After giving these descriptions, he ends like this. This is a profound mystery. I am talking about Christ and the, you know this? And the church. Marriage ultimately is not about you. I know that, you know, you spend a lot of money in your wedding. You have a house. You have things in both of your names. You're trying to live inheritance for your children. But marriage ultimately is about Christ and Christ's model of how he loves his church. Fidelity does not begin with us trying to be faithful. You know why? Because most likely than not, you're going to fail. The way we beat infidelity fidelity is by looking at the model in which Christ has loved you that you were an adulterers, that you at all times and in all ways walked away from God and God looked at you and still came to you and forgave you, not only forgave you, but he lived a perfect life and died on the cross. That when he was on the cross and as people were mocking him, he said, Father, do not, like, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. We were so unfaithful to, to, to God, then the Bible says that even while Ephesians 2, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. You know, I could put it another way. Even while we were in an adultery, Christ gave his life for you and me. Not only that, but then he no longer calls you an adulterer. He takes away, he removes all the adultery of your life, your sin and your rebellion by which you go after other gods. He heals us from our past. He heals us from what we've done. And he says, I clothe you with a new person. I clothe you with myself. When I encounter the tragic stories of heart adultery or physical adultery, 100% of the time, infidelity first began with God. You hear that? Infidelity first began with God. Nobody ever got into infidelity and said, I don't know what happened it just kind of popped up out of nowhere. I was still praying to God right before it happened. That's deception. The fact is that way past adultery, right, even before that, you already left God, which is why you're so susceptible to uh, to adultery. To fight adultery, healing from adultery, we must embrace Christ's love for us again this morning. If you're here this morning and you just said, man, I'm a mess. I, I am that guy. Here's hope, ready? Adultery is not the unpardonable sin. You hear that? It's not the unpardonable sin. God will not cast you out forever. In due season, as we repent in faith and come to God, He will draw us in and change our identity, change our name, give us a new way of life. But we must first bring and find fidelity with God. If you try to find fidelity, just you you're ultimately going to find yourself dissatisfied and exhausted and tired. So the seventh commandment this morning points us not just to the committing of adultery, but to a pursuit of fidelity, a pursuit of faithfulness unto Christ and to his gospel, a love that we don't deserve, that he pours out unto us every single day. So this morning, as we pray... Um, I know this is a sensitive subject again, so don't feel the pressure to come and pray. But if you do would like to pray, I'm going to have Michael, Denise, if you guys are here. I'll have Michael on one end and Denise in the other. we like to pray at the end of our services. We want to pray for you. If, if you know someone, maybe you want prayer for that person. Or if you personally struggle with issues related to adultery, pornography, uh, while these are serious, this place is like a hospital, right? This is a place where... We, don't, we all don't have it all together, but we can come to Christ for His healing. So we'd like to pray for you. You go to Michael or Denise. If you like to pray for healing in your past, we'd like to pray for you. If you want to just pray for repentance, restoration, or just the Lord to help you walk this out, you know, we'd love to pray for you this morning. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to just worship. We're going to uh, sing a song together that uh, communicates this. But here's what I want you to take away, that, that marriage is the union of life and body, covenant and consummation, that Jesus does not leave us off the hook. He, he even goes deeper than that, but he ultimately gives us the model by which we can overcome this by looking at the way he loves us, by submitting to the way his picture of love, that marriage is a picture of him, Christ in the church, giving himself up for her so that we ourselves will give up ourselves for our spouse and lay down our desires as good as it may feel for the glory of god amen i know that was was a lot but i hope you hear my heart on it this is not you know we're living in in times where this is not popular and it won't be preached because it will draw people away but i pray that as you pray and as you worship with us that you'll see that there's hope for us there's so much hope We're not casted out, but we're welcomed in by the glory of God. Um, Amen. So I'm going to begin. I'm going to move out a little bit, and uh, we're going to worship.